Uh, we, uh, we look at the Bible every single week here at CDL because we believe the Bible is the Word of God and it's how He uh, primarily reveals Himself to us. And so we say the Bible is the Word of God to, to us individually as well. And so uh, we're in 1 Corinthians looking at, this, looking at this book for a while now and this, this is a, a book or a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a real church that he loved, that he planted, that he cared for. He had left that church for 18 months or so to, to plant other churches then he got word this church had gone a little bit wayward, and this is his letter to try and bring them back and to address a bunch of issues that are happening in the church. And so we are in chapter 2 today, looking at sentences 6 through to 16. Let me the screen behind me. It's on page 953, these blue church Bibles as well. So I'm going to read this for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 6 through to 16, it says this. Yet among the mature, we do, not in, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this, of this age or, or the rules of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of, of, the, of our glory. Uh, none of the rules of this age understood this, for if they had, they, not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of men imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who, uh, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual tr- truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Uh, well, good afternoon and welcome. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the leaders here at church, and it's great to be digging into this um, second chapter of Corinthians. And the one, the one thing that this is really getting to the heart of is how it is that someone goes from seeing Christ as foolishness to seeing him as the power and wisdom of God. Um, I don't know if you ever do this, but occasionally I like to just plug in queries to Google just to see how it's going to finish them off for me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, when you type something into Google, um, because they take so many search requests, sometimes to save you time, they'll just kind of finish off what you're typing for you because they're like, look, millions of people are typing this, maybe you are too. Um, but some of them are a little bit surprising. So for example, when I type in, um, why do I, I mean, maybe this doesn't catch you off guard, but the first, the number one suggestion for me is, why do I sweat so much? I was like, that's it. I didn't realize that, that the glandular problems were such a global sort of issue, but you know, apparently they are. The other one that was up there was, um, where do I? And the first suggestion for that one is, live. <laughs> and I thought, look, if, if you don't know, Google can't help you. Like, I, I don't know what you think this thing does, but, um, but apparently there are people out there searching that. Some of them are a little bit like, sadder, like this one, will, this will get you. But in a lot of them, there are ones that kind of around, they're on the theme of like, why do I have no friends? Or why don't people like... I don't, I don't know if the algorithms is set just for me and they're just like, they've picked me out as they're like, I think you know, these are the kind of questions you should be asking. But, um, 
But one of the ones that has come up in um, in in one of the searches is uh, why are Christians, and it finishes with so judgmental. That's an interesting one, and and I mean the the answer is obvious. If 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 it's the case that the message of Christianity is this, that there is a God who created everything, and He will judge the living and the dead at the end of time, and if you have been morally good, He will give you the thumbs up, and you can get entry to the treasure trove forever. And if you have done bad, then you're cast out to hell forever and that's it. If that's what the message is, then that would make sense. Because that would then mean that I can look down on other people. If I'm a morally good person, then I have good logical reason to look down on someone else and think that I'm better than them. We're both competing in the same categories and I've done morally better than they have. But the confounding thing about it is that it's very clear that this is not what it means to be a Christian. In fact, it's very clear that this runs directly against what is clearly and obviously there in Scripture. So then the question becomes, why are there so many people who take the name of Christian or who go to church week in and week out who are acting this way? How do you get people who, who, believe, who say they believe this one thing in the book that they claim to uphold as having all authority acting in almost opposition to it? And I suspect it's a little bit like what happens when we click the terms and conditions on something. Because there are so many of them there, we're just like, look, I get the gist. They're not going to rip me off. They can't. There's a fair trade practices place that's going to protect me anyway. I'll just click accept and go ahead. And I think a lot of people do the same with the Bible. Look, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of pages in there. I don't have time to get through it all. I think I got the vibe. Do good. Don't do bad. Sort of sort it out in the end, right? And then the net result is that people think that that's basically what it means to be a Christian. And then, of course, it's logical then to be able to judge other people because they haven't been as morally good as you. The problem is, if you actually open the Scriptures and pay attention, you'll see that there is no logical reason to act that way. That, in fact, it is illogical as a Christian to act that way. And the passage that we're looking at today is Paul writing to this church in Corinth. Paul, a follower of Jesus who had planted this church, writing back to them saying, the way you are acting is not in line with the Gospel. The Gospel that you say you believe that you say believe has saved you and brought you in a relationship with God forever, the way you are living and acting is diametrically opposed to what that is. And so I'm going to pray that as we look at this, that we too would be paying attention and understanding what it is that God has to say to us through this word in Corinthians. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you're a good and holy God, that you're a God who upholds justice, that you cannot bear evil or sin, And you have set a day when you have set all wrongs to right. And Father, we praise you that you have made a way through Christ to know you. And we pray that as we open your word that we would understand with new depth what that means. That you would open our blind eyes to see the truth of the gospel in new light. And Father, that you would do this, that you might be glorified in your church. Amen. Well, so Paul is writing to a divided church and they're splitting over all kinds of different things. So they're splitting over issues about sex and sexuality because there's a whole bunch of different issues happening in the church. They're splitting over things like money and giving. They're splitting over things like what kind of food you can eat if it's been used in temple sacrifice. And they're dividing over who's their favorite preacher and all this stuff. The church is just a mess. And so Paul writes to them to straighten some things out. And in this section, he writes to them this. Starting at the beginning of chapter 2, in sentences 1 to 5, he says, and it'll come up on the screen for you, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying, look, when I came to you at Corinth, I didn't come as a salesman with an elevator pitch. I didn't come with a smooth kind of act. I wasn't like all the other speakers that had come through town. I came to you, he says, in weakness and trembling. He says, I came proclaiming to you a simple message, and it was about Jesus. He says, I didn't come with lofty speech. And the problem is that this matters for the people in Corinth. The people in Corinth were Greeks, and the Greeks considered themselves pretty knowledgeable when it came to wisdom. The Greeks knew they were the home of Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and all that sort of gear. So they were like, look, we're Greeks. We know wisdom. We're discerning about this stuff. It's a little bit like how like, people from Melbourne consider that they know everything about art and good coffee. And they just go to other cities and complain about how the coffee's bad and all this kind of stuff. Even though they may have contributed nothing to that, they just feel like, you know, I, I'm from Melbourne. I kind of got the vibe for it. I'm sorry if you are from Melbourne. As in, sorry, you are from Melbourne. Not, like, I'm not sorry about what I said. I hold to that. Um, but it was similar kind of this thing in, in Greece, in Corinth. They were like, look, we're Greeks. We know wisdom. And this Paul guy, he doesn't sound like the other speakers we know. He's not as flashy and kind of articulate as them. He's not, he's not preaching wisdom. And Paul's like, yeah, I wasn't. I didn't come to you with a flashy show. I just came to you in fear and trembling. And I don't think he literally means that as he was speaking to them, he was trembling But if you know the story in the book of Acts, you know that Paul planted a bunch of churches in this region. And as he made his way down down to Corinth at the bottom of Greece, every city that he was in planting churches, he was chased out for fear of death. And they were chasing him from town to town trying to kill him in one town after another. And so he gets to Corinth and he says, look, I'm not here as like some traveling sideshow. I'm not making heaps of money out of this. He says, I came here knowing that my life was in my very hands for preaching Jesus. And he did it anyway. And he didn't come to try and impress them. He says, I wasn't trying to fit in with you guys. I wasn't preaching a message that you like to hear. I didn't tailor it and think, gosh, what would they really like in Corinth? What would make me seem like a great speaker? He just says, I came to you and I decided I would know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And that's what I held out to you. And he says the reason he did that was so that he might trust in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. And we know that from the passage that we looked at last week, that what he means here is that in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us being saved it is the power of God. And so he's saying, I didn't want you to trust in me. I wanted you to know the power of the cross. So that's all I held out to you. See, it is the case, isn't it, that if you were to, to market Christianity to Sydney, you wouldn't put the cross in there. If you're smart about your marketing, what you do is you take all the things that are really popular about your product and all the things that are really bad, you sort of push them to the back and you would hold out all the things that would kind of fit with our culture. So if you were to come, you would would say, look, the stuff about love, that's great. The stuff about forgiveness, excellent, keep that. The stuff about sin, judgment, the cross, the blood, we'll keep that off to the side. And yet Paul says, no, I won't do that. And it's a shame because there are many even churches that almost do that that hide away parts of Scripture as though it was something to be ashamed of, as though it wasn't the very power of God to, to uh, expressed in the cross. 
It's almost like treating God like your embarrassing uncle who comes to all the family gatherings and gets drunk. And you're kind of just trying to get in the way and be like, look, he's really a good guy. He doesn't mean what he's saying, all that sort of stuff, right? And it's almost like some churches are like that with the Bible. They're like, look, God says a lot of things, but look, the main thing to remember is he's really a good guy and that sort of stuff. And it's almost like they're apologizing. And Paul says, don't do that. The cross is at the center. He says that is the very power of God. And so when he came to Corinth, that's what he held out to them. He preached Christ crucified. But after going on and on about how much he's not speaking wisdom to them, he then goes on to say, but I do kind of speak a wisdom if you think about it. Have a look at what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-9. to He says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has, has prepared for those who love him. See, it going to great lengths to explain that he isn't preaching to them wisdom. He's not fitting in with the itinerant speakers who would have come through their town and been flashy and good presenters. He says, but actually, I do speak a wisdom to you. The problem is it's, just, it's hidden. So he's saying the rulers that crucified Jesus, if they really knew who Jesus was, and if they really knew what the message of the gospel was, they wouldn't have acted the way they did. But it was hidden from them. They didn't see what was going on. They crucified Jesus because they didn't see that this was God himself come down in the flesh to die for our sin. They wouldn't have seen it as foolish. They would have seen this as the very message of life, as the very power of God being demonstrated before them. And so he says, actually, it is wisdom. It's just wisdom that many don't accept because they don't know who Jesus is. And so then the question becomes, well, how do you go from seeing Christ as foolish or at best as kind of just interesting to seeing Jesus as the very power and wisdom of God? And this is what he explains next. In 1 Corinthians 2, starting at sentence 10, he explains exactly how you go from being one to the other. He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of him who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For, what has, uh, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul says these things, and he's talking about the wisdom and power of God and the cross, says these things are revealed by the Spirit. It's God himself who reveals himself to his people. See, at City Light, we believe that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's not that there are three different gods or three demigods or three-thirds of God that when you get them together, you get one God. The belief is that each, that God is three persons. Each person is fully and completely God. The mass is one plus one plus one equals one, which is bad mass but great theology. So 
keep that under your hat. But uh, if you're thinking, if you're sitting here and thinking, well, look, the idea that like God is three in one and all this stuff, that's exactly the kind of wishy-washy fantasy nonsense. That's exactly why I don't believe in this message about Jesus. But I want to put to you, there's something about the Trinity that I think adds to the believability of God. And it's this, if in many man-made religions, God is just a giant human. He's in every way as temperamental and childish and all of that as, as we are. And it's exactly like what you would imagine if someone made up a religion. You just say, what would we be like if we were just a lot bigger and a lot more powerful? And it's true in Scripture. There are things about God that are incredibly relatable. That He loves, that His wrath is against evil and injustice. We feel that also. But there are aspects of God that are difficult for us to understand, that are transcendent and above us. And it would make sense that if God was God, that He would be both understandable and beyond our understanding. If God was entirely beneath our understanding, it would probably be because He wasn't God. If we could understand Him completely. And yet, if He was completely transcendent, He would be too far beyond us to really even have an opinion on. It would make sense that if there is a God, and He is true, that He would be both understandable and yet transcendent. And that's what we see in here, in the mystery of the Trinity. That God is three in one. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he and a person who wills things. And in this passage we're told that it's the Spirit who understands the mind of God. The Spirit is God and so understands the mind of the Father and the Son and can communicate Him to His people. And Paul is saying here, the way that you go from seeing Christ as just foolish or at best just something maybe interesting or a historical story to seeing Him as the wisdom and power of God is that the Spirit of God enters your heart and mind and shows you that reality so that you see like God would have you see. It's the Spirit who empowers us to interpret spiritual truths, he said. It's the Spirit who lets us see that He is the wisdom and power of God. It's a bit like this. I remember uh, a little while ago, just driving down Mullen Street here, heading home, there was a man standing, like there's a, a tiny roundabout. If you know Balmain, it's the little tiny pancake about that confuses people. Yeah, and people struggle so hard there. Because like, is it a roundabout? Is it a speed hump? What is it? Anyway, it's a deadly intersection. And there was a guy just standing on the edge there. And he's, like, he was missing a bunch of gaps that were going by. And he just seemed to be concentrating. And then as, uh, when he kind of, there was like a significant gap, he just moved really quickly. And I saw as he went that he had a cane with him. I was like, oh my gosh, he's blind. So what he was doing on the corner was listening for the cars to work out when the gap was and then going across. And there was a median strip as well that he navigated. I thought, that, that is incredible. Like that, I, you take crossing the road for granted. Being blind, you wouldn't. That's, I can't believe that someone can actually do that. And that you would have the confidence to do that, to take your life in your hands to do that. But it is a th- it's an incredible thing to think about how someone blind would be able to navigate a visual world. But what would be even harder than crossing the road would be trying to explain to someone who'd been blind from birth what a colour was. Imagine how you'd even start to think about attempting that. What kind of language even could you use to try and explain colour to someone who was blind? The truth is you could have a go at it and you might communicate something, but in the end... The only way you'd really understand colour is for there to be some kind of intervention to where you could actually see. And it's the same as what Paul is saying here about understanding the cross as the wisdom and power of God. That really, uh, without the Holy Spirit, you can get some kind of sense of who He is or maybe is, but in the end, ultimately, God has to intervene. 
He has to open our blind eyes so that we see what should have been plain in sight before us the whole time. This is what it is to become a Christian. Paul says the things of God are revealed by the Spirit. It's only God who can intervene and do that. Now remember this was the case for me when I became a Christian. I was 17 when I finally became a Christian. Though I'd been in a, a, a household that was full of Christians, I went to church, I knew the gospel, I could articulate the gospel and share it with other people, I understood it. But I didn't see it as the wisdom and power of God. Then in the end, for me, it was just kind of something that I kind of hoped maybe was true when I died because it might be useful then. But for life now, it was nothing. And when I finally understood, when God finally put his spirit into my heart and I saw the wisdom and power of God, it was like I'd never heard the gospel before. And though I'd heard the words before my whole life, it was like it finally came to life in terms of this is real and this has weight and this matters. This is the very wisdom and power of God. I remember even being struck by the first time I understood how much the wisdom of God was shown in the cross. I mean, consider this, right? God, who created all things, so sees all things and knows all things, made humankind in love to love one another, and we didn't. We've sinned and been evil and fall under his judgment. And like a police officer who finds out his child is a murderer, God would have felt at once compassion for his people and yet the need to do justice. And in his wisdom, he sends Jesus. And Jesus becomes our sacrifice so that God punishes sin. He's not a a, a judge who just lets sin go. Sin is punished, and yet his people can find forgiveness and be set free. And that is the wisdom and power of God, to save people from themselves. This is why Paul says in this passage, he's like, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, who would have even thought up this gospel? It's incredible. Paul is saying it's the Spirit of God who reveals the power and wisdom of the cross. And so then the question is, well, what do we do with this? And the first thing is this. There is a warning in this passage. And the warning would be this, that in a group this size, even though we're not a particularly large church, even in, in a group this size in this building, it's likely to be the case that there are people here who say they're a Christian and believe they're a Christian and yet who aren't. It's possible to have an intellectual understanding of the gospel and to not be saved. Paul says the difference is when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, you will see the cross as the wisdom and power of God. That's significant. See, it can't be the case that you say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe that at the center of everything is this crucified Savior who rose again and died in my place. But it has no impact on my life. If you uphold that the the cross is the wisdom and power of God, that means that you believe that sin deserves punishment and God deserves glory. It means that you believe that self-sacrifice is better than taking for your own. It means that you believe that power is expressed in the service of of others. It means that you believe that Christ is your king and ultimate authority. You cannot believe all of those things and say, yes, that is wisdom and that is power and it has no impact on my life. You cannot believe all those things and live a life that's basically indistinguishable from someone that would say, Christ is foolishness. It's a bit like this. As, as a high schooler, I thought I looked nothing like my dad. The problem is, as you get older and your body decays, 
as it were. I can say it because he was there this morning, so I had to be a bit more whatever. But um, as, as I get older and as I look at the photos and the comparisons, I'm like, we're not so dissimilar. But more than that, even just personality-wise, I notice as I get older, some of the things that I saw in my dad are starting to turn up in me as well. And in high school, I thought we were like completely opposed. And yet, as we get older, you kind of start to see there are a lot of resemblances there. And in one sense, that's, kind of, that's pretty normal and natural. It's a pretty rare thing that someone who's genetically related to their parent wouldn't look or act anything like them. It's possible, but it's not likely. I think it's the same with following Christ. That really, it should be the case that you resemble your Savior. And that year by year by year, you would resemble him more and more and more. It's true that we are not saved by our own works. We are not saved by anything good that we can do. In fact, it wasn't even a good decision that we made. He even had to intervene at that point as well. But it should be the case that grace leaves a mark and that we should look like the one who has saved us and the Father that has called us out. And if you feel like I'm pulling beyond what's here in the text, Paul lands this application at the end of the second letter when he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test. Don't assume that because you have an intellectual grasp of the gospel, that you see it as the power and wisdom of God. That is spirit-given knowledge, we're told in this passage. It is the spirit who empowers us to see the wisdom and power of God in the cross. And it's worth examining yourself. This is life and death stuff. But secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus and your faith is in Him, the implication is this. You should be, year by year, growing in humility. This is a humbling truth. The logical response to what we're looking at here in in 1 Corinthians 2 is this. That if I woke up this morning and I trust in Jesus Christ, it's because of the intervening work of the Spirit. That I would wake up in myself, in my own sin, every day an atheist. And yet if I woke up today trusting that God is my saviour, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul would say here. That's the truth. No credit to myself. The problem is with human nature is that the longer we have something, and the more we get used to something, the more we feel like it belongs to us and it's ours. I, like maybe a few of you here, rent. And one of the weird things, I mean it's not that weird in a sense but one of the things you say when you're renting a place if you're having someone around is you don't say hey come around to my landlord's house that would seem I don't know what people would think if you were saying that but you just the natural thing to say is come around to my house I'm going around to my house meet you in my house all that kind of stuff but the truth is it's not my house and that only becomes obvious when your tenancy agreement's up and you've got to move right that's when it becomes clear you're like oh that's right this isn't my house But the problem is it doesn't matter what it is. If it's something that you've borrowed from a friend and just basically kept and adopted as your own and they ask back after three years and you almost feel like you're giving it away, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. As long as we have something for a certain amount of time, we start to feel like, yeah, this is mine. And the problem for Christians who have followed Jesus for a while is that over time, unless you pay attention to Scripture, you'll start to think, yeah, yeah, it's grace, it's all that kind of stuff. But in the end, this is me. I did this. I make good decisions. I make moral decisions. I'm a moral person. And that flies in the face of the truth of 1 Corinthians 2. It's not. It's not the case. 
I mean, when you sit down to open the scriptures, do you sit there and pray and say, God, unless you open my eyes by the Holy Spirit, I will just see words on a page. When you come to even the Sunday gathering like today, do you think, oh, I hope they prepared a good message or not because that's, in the end, it depends on their wisdom whether or not I get anything out of this. Or do you pray, God, as the word is opened, may I see more than just words on a page. May I see the wisdom and power of God. When you meet in your missional communities and you, you open the word, you do it humbly. And as a group, do you gather together and pray, saying, God, unless you open our eyes, we will see nothing here, unless your spirit is at work. So I think oftentimes we just grow familiar with it and we start to think, ah, oh, it's really about me. It's about how hard I study and this and that. And look, those are all good things that God works through, but ultimately it's him working and revealing by his Holy Spirit. The mind of God at work in us to reveal his mind. So I reckon it is the case that as followers of Christ, we will be as joyful as we are humble. And oftentimes, the fact that we can be so whiny and irritable and complaining is because we forget the weight of the truth that we say we believe day in and day out. That maybe we don't reflect upon how close the fires of hell were licking at our feet when God pulled us toward himself in love. I didn't make a good decision and I never would have. I was fully and completely addicted to my sin and yet he pulled me out of that in a relationship with him. It is the Spirit of God that shows us the cross as the wisdom and power of God. And because of this, it should also mean that Christians are not only humble, but they humbly disagree with other people. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that there was a Heineken ad they put out a few weeks ago and again, tapping into just what's going on at the moment, the divisiveness, the fighting, the bitterness, all that kind of stuff. They put an ad together, and it's a spoiler. It's a two-minute ad. It's not really spoiling anything for you. But anyway, this is what happens. They get two people together whose views are just at loggerheads. And uh, they don't tell them that that's the case. They don't know why they're in the room with this other person. They just meet, and they have instructions that they have to read out and do. And they build furniture, and they do all this stuff. And it gets to the point where they basically build a bar and they've got two beers on it, and then a video comes on. And it's the videos of each of them explaining their own worldview. And you can see the shock on the other person's face as they realize this is the person that I'm sitting across from. They believe these things, right? And they're just completely opposed to one another. And, uh, and then at the end, the video kind of says, now you're going to finish the beer or not. Are you going to keep sitting here with this person or are you going to walk off? And of course, everyone stays around, probably because... The, all the ones were like smashed the thing on the bar and were like, you know, about to fight. They probably wouldn't have made the cut in the end. Um, <clears throat> but, um, but the message of the ad at the end is this, you know, what, what unites us is bigger than what divides us. And that would, that would be great if that were true. And it would be the case that people would be kinder to each other if they just spoke face to face rather than on Facebook. But for the Christian, the belief is, I cannot look down on someone else because I did not do anything to save myself. There is no logical reason for me to look at someone and think, how could you possibly believe that? Because you'd think, of course you could. Because I could. Because I would. If God left me to myself, there but for the grace of God go I. Christians are called to humbly disagree because it's the Spirit who shows us the wisdom and power of God. We didn't do it in our own strength. And lastly, it should be this. That as Christians, you should be bold in holding out the Word of God. We should be humble in disagreement and yet bold in holding out the word of God because ultimately you believe it doesn't come down to you or your wisdom or your clever words. It comes down to God working as Jesus Christ is proclaimed. 
I remember working at a school where they were trying to get a lunchtime group up and running. And it was a Christian lunchtime group. I was in the school during the week, just a couple of periods a week, teaching scripture. Um, and if you know anything about like, doing that in high schools, it is a tough gig. Look, the, the interest is low. The animosity is high. I, look, I found it really fun, but I, it is a lion's den. But someone's trying to start up a lunchtime group, and they're like, how do we get kids in? And, uh, and one of the things that came around as they were doing announcements in the rooms was, they said, look, come along this week. And they're doing this every week. Like, come along this week because you got a chance to win an iPod. And I was like, oh, it was, just, it was stressing me out just hearing the announcement, right? Because the kids were interested, obviously, but I was like, oh, man, like, what does that look like? It looks like, look, we know this is a terrible idea. Like, we know this is awful and you don't want to be there, but for an iPod, would you do it for an iPod, please? And, it just, and even at best, if that, I mean, I'm sure that wasn't what they were meaning or anything, but even at best, it's, kind of, it's still a bait and switch, where you're like, come for the, oh, Jesus, like, you know, like, kind of sneak it in there. And you think, man, that is not, Paul was saying here, don't do that. He says he went to Corinth, and he didn't beg them, and he didn't try and be cool and try and be all wise like they're speaking. He's like, look, I don't know anything. People are trying to kill me. I just want to tell you that Jesus is the answer. And he just preached it straight. And it should be the case that as Christians would do that. You wouldn't be embarrassed or shameful about it. You'd say, look, I know this to be the wisdom and the power of God for me. I believe it is for you too. And I'm going to hold it out there knowing that God can save anyone. That if, if it really is God intervening that is the difference, then I can hold out the word of God to anyone. I don't have to go, oh, who's kind of like almost there who just needs a nudge over the line or whatever it is. No, everyone is far from God and God can and does save anyone. So Christians should be humble and bold in holding out the word of God. It is the truth that it's the spirit of God that shows us that the cross is the wisdom and power of God. And so we should be humble and we should be bold. I'm going to pray that we would be. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that in the cross, where many see foolishness, that your wisdom was revealed. That in the blood of Jesus, we see your justice your goodness, your mercy, your love, and your reaching out to a dying world. And Father, we pray that we would know this truth with incredible depth, that we would know that we did nothing to save ourselves, that it was all you, that you might make us humble, and that day by day we may walk humbly, knowing that you are the God of grace. And Father, we pray that we would hold out the word of the cross boldly, knowing that you can and do save anyone, And that in this, that you would be glorified as your people seek to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. That we would know that this is all the wisdom and power of God. And then in doing this, Lord, that you might be glorified greatly in your church. Amen.